Hey Girl Hey. Welcome to Savannah Turner's Hey Girl Hey podcast. A place where we seek to inspire, comfort, and connect. Through the experiences of our guests, I want to offer young women some I wish I knew wisdom and hope to provide comfort in the idea that success is allowed to look different than the roadmap we had originally drawn out for ourselves. I'm your host, Savannah Turner, and today on the show, I have the pleasure of talking with Valerie Cockrell. Valerie's story is one of the ones that inspired me to start the show. She perfectly embodies the idea of letting go of the plan and embracing uncertainty. Valerie is originally from France, but has a career journey that led her across the globe. She worked for the Walt Disney Company for a number of years, first helping with the construction of Disneyland Paris. She and her husband now work together as owners of Cockrell Consulting, where the two seek to provide solutions for businesses to improve their culture. I am excited for you all to hear a little more from Valerie today. So to Miss Valerie, I say, hey, girl, hey, welcome to the show. Hey, Savannah, nice seeing you. Nice talking to you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about uh, your podcast and I'm happy to be here. So uh, let's get started. Do you have any questions for me? All right, let's get started. So my first question is, um, and this is kind of a loaded question, but what's your story? Like, could you give me a brief overview of your, I guess, professional timeline up to this point? Okay. How much time do you have? Two hours? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I'll make it short. Um, As I'm sure your listeners may have picked up already, I have an accent. I'm um, born, I was born and raised in France. Uh, This is where I studied and I lived for about 16, 17 years. And about that time I uh, graduated from high school. And to be honest with you, I had no idea what I really wanted to do in life. However, I was very curious about the world and I knew I wanted to travel. I wanted to see different cultures and and meet people from from the rest of the world. And I I had this idea, this um, burning desire to see what was out there. I didn't didn't know what what that was, but I, I knew I wanted to go and have a look at it. And uh, at the time I realized, and we're talking in the uh, 80s, right? And I realized that if I wanted to travel and see the world, I had to learn English. So what I did right after graduation, I moved to London and I thought, you know, what a better way to learn a foreign language than to live in the country. So moved to London as an au pair. So I was living with an English family who turned out to be a single mom of a three-year-old son. And she needed somebody to babysit just about every night. So I moved in with them. I stayed in London for about a year and a half. At the same time, I studied um, University of Cambridge has a a smaller college within London proper where people can uh, learn English as as a second language, obviously. And I did that for a year and a half. And I went back to France and finished my studies. And by that point, I figured, you know, okay, I still want to travel. Now I speak English. Uh, let me see, what's the best way to do this? Well, I'm going to uh, uh, start a degree in uh, hospitality. So I started, I studied uh, hospitality. Uh, it's a business degree with a um, hospitality concentration. And that led to me getting a job with Disney, my very first job with Disney in the late 80s. Uh, my English teacher at school told me that uh, at university, she said, look, your English is very good. And I have heard that Disney comes to Paris and they hire people to go and work in Florida 
for one year, one year visa, and to work in the French pavilion at Epcot. So needless to say, I was like, all right, this is what I want to do. I had no idea what the job was. And I soon found out that I actually got selected for a program which does not exist anymore. It was called a fellowship program. But as part of this program, you would work in merchandise, food and beverage, guest relation, entertainment, attraction. So a little bit of everything. And we also um, interacted with other fellowship students from all the other countries, the, the other countries of the World Showcase at Epcot. So in the process of that year, I made friends from Japan, Mexico, Norway, UK, Canada, Morocco, you name it. And, and to this day, it's been over 35 years and we're still friends, which is remarkable. And, and I, I really think that that was, to some extent, you know, an experience that uh, decided the path of my entire career. So I did that one year thing, left, went back to France, worked for a bank. I thought somehow maybe banking would be my career. I did that for about two years. And I quickly realized that it just was not uh, the environment I wanted to be in. And one spring day, I got a phone call from Disney and they told me, look, uh, we will open a park in Paris in April 92, and we'd like to rehire you um, to come work for Disney. And it literally took me about three seconds to say, sure, sign me up. And I said, well, there's, there's, a, there's a catch. I said, what's the catch? They said, you have to go back to Florida to train. I'm like, even better, you know? So um, went back to Florida, met my husband, uh, nowhere fancy, no pixie dust involved. We were actually doing our laundry, so nothing too exciting, but it was magical nonetheless. And uh, then we relocated, we, uh, relocated back to France, uh, opened the park in April 92, uh, lived there five years, uh, married in France, and eventually relocated back to the US to Walt Disney World. So my career with Disney was originally essentially around retail. I managed multiple retail locations for Disney in France and then in the US. And eventually I shifted my role more towards the buying office of retail. So I was in charge of all the assortments for Epcot and for Disney Cruise Line. So I made my way around the, the merchandise division and really enjoyed it. I really like retail very much. And in the process of all this, we had three kids. So I took some uh, time off to take care of the kids. Eventually, um, I did a little bit of consulting on the side while I, I was taking care of the kids, just so that I could keep my skills uh, up to date. And then in 2013, uh, by coincidence, really, uh, Disney Institute reached out to me. And they, once again, Disney came back to me and said, we'd like to hire you. We need somebody who speaks French who could facilitate programs for us. So I started working for Disney Institute. So if you're not familiar with Disney Institute, it is the outside training arm of the Disney organization. So there's a, a lot of companies and organization come to Disney, want to understand how Disney does what they do um, with such a high volume, the, you know, 50 million visitors every year, 75,000 employees, and they want to learn the Disney way. So I became a facilitator for Disney Institute. I did Disney's approach to leadership excellence. I also facilitated Disney's approach to um, leadership excellence uh, at Walt Disney World in California and also in Canada, in Quebec, because I could do this in, in French. So, and I did this until 2018. And then in 2018, 
uh, my husband and I, and, and Dan, my husband, as you know, worked for Disney. He was an executive um, and uh, ran Epcot and then the Disney's Hollywood studio and eventually finished his career as the vice president of the Magic Kingdom. So we decided, you know, as much as we love Disney, there is such thing as too much pixie dust. The kids were out of the house. And we decided we wanted to do something else, maybe have a little bit more freedom and a different pace because Disney is open 365 days a year. So it's, uh, it can be demanding. And so we started a consulting business. And ever since we've been traveling uh, quite a bit, we work in the US, uh, a lot in Brazil. We've worked in Peru, in Croatia, in France. Uh, we just came back from a long trip in Australia and New Zealand. So it's, uh, we love it because not only we get to travel, which remember from day one, that was always what I wanted to do. But the interesting thing is that we um, now interact with companies that are not necessarily from the hospitality industry. So we learn a lot in the process and you realize that, you know, we're in the twilight of our career and we're still learning. And for us, this is priceless and we really, really enjoy this. So in a nutshell, this is pretty much uh, the course of my career. Yeah, that's awesome. In a nutshell, I mentally, while you were just, you know, laying it all out. I was like, okay, I have a map. There's France, then the United States, then Canada, South America, Australia, like bouncing all over the place. It's insane. So going back to where it all started when you first left France, what were your initial thoughts? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to pack up and leave. And I don't even really know the language that well. What were you feeling during that time? Well, in public, I was acting all tough and uh, yeah, I've got this. And this is, I was determined to do this regardless but um, there were moments that were difficult. I remember at the time I didn't, I traveled from Lyon, which is my hometown in France, over to London. And my parents brought me to the train station. I remember taking the train and acting up and yes, everything's going to be fine. Don't you worry about me. And I think as soon as the train left the station, I started you know, crying, going like, what am I doing? Because I could literally say, my name is Valérie, I'm French. And that was it. That was the extent of my English. So it was in retrospect, it was pretty bold. And I'm sometimes I look at my mom thinking like, how did you let me do this? I was so young and clueless and didn't speak the language. But I found that over time, and maybe it wasn't so clear in my mind at the time, but in adversity is where you learn the most. And if you can weather the storm, you will look back at your experience in this difficult experience and realize how valuable it is and how much you learn. And ironically, in that year and a half in London, not only did I learn English, but I think I became a lot more mature, wiser. And when I went back to university, I was a great student. I wasn't a great student before. I'm kind of I'm one of those students that was a bit of a procrastinator. I would I would just do enough to get by, right? But after living in London for a year and a half, I came back to university and I was really a, a great student. Not that I was trying more than before, but I was just smarter, wiser, uh, and I had learned, uh, you know, life. Uh, and life can be difficult and challenging and frustrating at times, but I, I think I had learned to be more resilient and more independent and more organized also and more reliable and all of that served me well for the rest of my studies. Yeah, that's awesome. Let me ask you this. Do you think that saying yes initially to leaving your hometown made 
what would have been kind of daunting decisions, you know, um, easier to make? Like would saying yes to the adversity on the front end make those decisions, this travel decisions or, you know, work career change decisions in their future easier to make for you? Yes, I think as you as you get older, you realize that you see the value in it. And at the time it was more, I don't think I knew the value of it. I was just curious. That was my, uh, my uh, frame of mind. I just wanted to see what's out there. What are the possibilities? And there was really no... I really didn't have a clarity uh, on what my career was going to look like or what I wanted to do. But for me, um, it, it really opened up a whole uh, wide range of opportunities. You know, in retrospect, if you talk to people who are in the twilight of their career, like, like I am, and you ask them, are you doing today the job that you were dreaming of when you were a kid? you will seldom come across who will, somebody who will tell you, yes, when I was 10 years old, I wanted to be this. And that's what I've become. And that's what my career has been about. In all honesty, I think I know only one person who's a, who's a vet who said from you know eight years old, he wanted to be a vet and he, he's now a, a world-renowned vet. But that is the only person I know. Most people kind of you know try different things and have different experience and get uh, exposure to different uh, possibilities. And then someday, one day realize that, hey, I'm actually enjoying this. For me, I stumbled into retail and retail was not something I had studied, but I really enjoyed it because it's constantly, you're in contact with people. There's a financial side of it, which appealed to me also. And also the fact that everything changes all the time. I like that environment. So. Really, I think what's important uh, when you when you're a teenager and when you're a young adult is to think about what do I enjoy doing? What is the environment? And you may not have a clear idea of what your job is, but the idea is to say, where do I excel? And you discover some things that come naturally to you that you can do. It's almost effortless. Uh, it's like swimming downstream versus trying to swim upstream, right? So if you can find an environment where you swim downstream and things come naturally, you're going to enjoy it. And if you enjoy it, you're going to be good at it. And then you will find yourself a career. So that that's pretty, in retrospect, I wish when I was 20 years old, somebody had told me that, that very uh, concept. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so going back to, you know, what you have in mind as a young adult, like of what you want to do when you quote grow up versus what you're actually doing. Um, how has, when you reflect, how has where you were in college differed from where you find yourself today? Again, I didn't have a very clear vision of what it, it, it needed to be or what I wanted it to be. I really think at that time, I thought my career would be kind of a straight shot, you know, find a job and then stick to it for, you know, 30 some years. And then, and then I will, you know, always go up and it was kind of, you know, that, that really straight shot, something that where you would progress on a regular basis. The reality is you will take turns, you will change careers, you will uh, excel at something and then fail miserably and then get a job. And, you know, like me, I thought, oh, I'm going to work in the bank. I, I can see myself. I wanted to be a stockbroker. I wanted to work on a stock exchange. But I quickly realized, no, this is not something I enjoy. This is not the thing. But 
if I hadn't tried it, I would not know that today. And I may, maybe I would be living with regrets today going like, oh, you know, I should have worked in a bank. That's what I really wanted to do. Well, I tried it and it and really was not my thing. Moved on to Disney and love retail. And that's something that really stuck for me. And then when I left Disney and they first, the Disney Institute first approached me and they said, well, do you want to be a facilitator? You're going to have to be a public speaker. I'm like, me on stage in front of 100 people? Absolutely not. I can't do that. This is not something that I'm capable of doing. And then you do it little by little and you train and you get better. And suddenly you find something that you actually love doing. Uh, so it's not predictable. Uh, it, the matter is one day at a time, one experience at a time, just get more tools in your toolbox and then, you know, you find yourself suddenly with all these tools that will serve you well. We had this, um, I've had this conversation with our daughter who's 24 years old. And when our kids were 16 years old, we sent them to work in horticulture at Disney, which uh, meant that from uh, July and August in the summer, the hottest time of year, uh, she would have to work at, in horticulture at Disney from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. weeding and mulching which is not exactly the most pleasant and not the dreamy job that, uh, that you know, you dream of when you're 16. And our daughter wasn't too excited about it. I think the only thing that appealed to her was the fact she was going to make some little bit of cash. And, you know, about a year ago, we were talking about it. She said, you know, mom, I remember the first time I filled up my resume because every, every summer we made them do jobs like this, all kinds of jobs. And if it wasn't jobs, they were community service. And she found herself, she said, man, I have so much on my resume when I'm applying for a job. It's like a two-page res resume. And she's, you know, she was 22, 23 years old at the time when she made that comment. And she said, I'm, you know, I really didn't think there was much value in it. But she says, when I real, when I apply and I do go to interviews, people ask me, oh my gosh, you work for Disney. What did you do? And I said, yes, just the fact that you can show up to work at 6 a.m. every morning says something about you. It says that you are reliable. You can get out of bed. You can show up and uh, be somebody that can be uh, counted on to, to come and do the job, no matter how uh, unglamorous the job may be. So you shouldn't, as a young person, don't discount any experience. It may not be your dream job, but you know it's a job. And when you'll go to an interview, it really helps you out. So yeah. Bouncing off of that, that's a great piece of advice. But what other, what's another piece of advice that you would offer college age students today? Well, I, um, one of the things, first of all, is don't get intimidated by uh, some of the roles out there. Uh, and here's something I've always said to my kids, and and I share with people in our workshop. So when we do keynote speech. Um, I think a lot of people would like you to think that leadership is a very complicated thing. Taking on leadership responsibilities is complicated. And I used to uh, think that way when I was in my 20s. I remember being a frontline cast member at Disney working in the French Pavilion. And the next position over was a lead position. And I remember thinking, wow, you, 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 know, you probably have to be really small to get that job. And then one day I became a lead and I'm like, oh, I can do this. I'm actually, you know, it's, I am actually pretty good at this. And then I was thinking, well, to be a supervisor, which was the next level up, you have to be really, really smart and have some great uh, competencies that I probably don't have. And then one day you become a supervisor and you're like, huh, 
I can do this too. And then on and on, then you become a manager and then you become an area manager and then you, you meet directors and vice presidents and, and you're like, you know, don't let the title intimidate you. Leadership is not complicated. It's made of very simple competencies and, uh, but don't confuse simple with easy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you just have to do those things with consistency. You have to be um, uh, to work with purpose. You have to be organized and uh, you can acquire all those, what I call the soft skills of leadership. And it, it is, you're not born a leader. Some people may have more uh, competencies naturally, they're more innate, but even if you don't have those qualities, you can, uh, you can do it, you can learn it. And I think too often young people, especially young women, tend to underestimate uh, their abilities to take on responsibilities. So in retrospect, if I were in my 20s and I would want to give myself that advice, don't let titles intimidate you. Just go for it and learn, get a good role model, pay attention, apply yourself with time and effort. Anything is possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I love too the point you made, don't confuse simple with easy, just because, you know, don't overcomplicate the job that you're looking to, but then in the same vein, don't expect it to be easy. Something can be simple and still require a great deal of work and effort and energy um, going into it. So I love that. I actually, I told a friend that the other day, like it just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's easy. Um, so tying it all together, wrapping it up. What is a, what is a question that I haven't asked you yet in our time together, but that you wished I had? Well, I tell you, I'm going to tell you about my book and I'm not trying to plug the book uh, that I wrote because it's not available right now anyway, but uh, the idea behind the book, first of all, um, first of all, writing a book is a great exercise. And even if it's not a book that's ever going to be published, when you write something, when you have to put your thoughts on paper, it's a great exercise because um, it's a little bit like spring cleaning your own brain right um, much like much like you would do in your closet it forces you to organize to simplify it to, to simplify to accessorize your story and what i mean by this is to uh, provide the details um, and context uh, to your message so that people who don't know a thing about you understand what your thoughts what your thoughts are, what your, your thought process is. Uh, you, you know, it's easy when you're talking to friends or to family um, because they understand your story, they understand your, they know your circumstances, they know the way you think, so they can fill in the gaps where, where, where needed, right? But when you need to communicate your thoughts and ideas to an audience who doesn't know a thing about you, it's way more challenges. challenging, sorry. So you, you learn to be more precise, more concise, and uh, you have to declutter really. So your message is clear. So overall, you know, writing is a great exercise, um, but the motivation behind my book and the book is called Manage Like a Mother. And the reason why I, I, I wrote this is, uh, well, also because I, I realized leadership is really not complicated and I want to make sure that people don't understand this message. Uh, but because I realized over the course of my life, uh, having raised three kids and having my career with Disney and other companies, um, I realized that the, being a great leader has a lot in common with being a great mom, right? Uh, what great moms do day in, day out is no different than what a great leader does. Uh, mothers, they train and develop their kids. Uh, they give them recognition. They give them feedback. 
Um, they are they set expectation. They manage conflict. If you have more than one kid, you manage conflict. Uh, and when it comes to organizational skills, uh, listen. If there were a Olympic discipline on time management, I think mothers would be the dream team, right? Because a mom can do three things at once, and and they're really good at optimizing their time. Now, I'm not implying that all mothers are perfect at all times, but because but 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 as a person, you have been on the receiving end as a child. You've been on the receiving end of motherhood, so you understand what works and what doesn't, right? Um, I don't know if you've ever heard your mom said, uh, you know, telling you to do something, and you said, but why? And your mom would say, well, because I said so. Uh, as a child, how did how did it make you feel? You know what what uh, what did you think at the time when you heard this? Uh, you probably thought it's ridiculous, it's unfair. My mom is being unreasonable. My mom is being mean uh, because that said so is not a good, an efficient way to parent a child. And and don't get me wrong, I'm guilty as charged. Uh, there's been days when my French temper uh, got the better of my. Um, of my parenting skills. So um, it, it's not a good way to, to parent and it's not a good way to be a leader, right? A kid is frustrated when they hear this, an employee, a team member is also frustrated. So I realized, you know, when I started thinking about all the competencies of, of great leaders that what they needed to be good. And I'm thinking, well, if we are thinking about uh, our team members, either as our own kids, or we're thinking about our mom, how our mom raised me, what worked and what doesn't, I can learn a lot about what you need to be a great leader. Um, I, I can, you know, recognition, a mom is always there for you. She encourages, she supports you. Uh, feedback, uh, feedback is something a mom does every day. Your mom doesn't wait until December and say, um, Savannah, uh, you know, you had a good start of the year, January, February, March, we're okay. But then in April, you really didn't perform too well. And you made some effort through the summer, but that September and October were a disaster again. And I'm really disappointed with how you performed in November. Therefore, this is what's going to happen for you for Christmas. Of course, no. Mom doesn't wait for Christmas to give you a performance review. Moms do give you feedback every day. And sometimes it's tough love, you know, it's not good. It's not positive feedback. It's negative feedback. But you know what? Your mother loves you unconditionally, regardless of anything. And I think as a leader, we need to remember this. Feedback, should we, we should call it gift back. You know, it's giving back. So it's, it's a gift. I'm telling you, I'm trying to make you a better person. I'm trying to make you a better performer, a better team member, Whatever, if you tackle feedback with that in mind and you do this on a regular basis, you don't wait for the end of the year to tell people what they're doing wrong, then you can, you know, build that trust in your organization. And when you have trust, you have better, you have successful people around you, people who appreciate you, respect you, and you all around a much better leader for that. Manage like a mother. I love just the entire concept. You're taking something like leadership, which can sometimes for some people have such an ambiguous and vague definition to it. And going back to that whole simple versus easy, leadership is not as sometimes not as complicated as people make it, but that does not make it easy. So I love that you're tying it in to the comparison of motherhood because it is it's something everyone can relate to. It's simple. Everyone, you know, everyone's got a mom. And 
And so tying it to that makes it breaks it down and makes leadership simple, but also highlights that it's not easy. So manage like a mother. I'm excited. So for everyone who's interested in the book, tell us a little bit about when it comes out, when it's where it's available. How do we get our hands on it? Well, the book is already uh, on pre-order on Amazon, but it will be released in bookstores uh, not until October 10th. And the ebook will probably be available at some point in September of this year. So uh, I'll be ramping up some uh, marketing uh, actions and podcasts and things like this uh, late summer and beginning of fall. So look for it um, either now if you want to pre-order or sometime in October in your bookstores. Yeah. And I will include the link, um, the Amazon pre-order link in today's show notes for anyone that's interested. Ms. Valerie, my final question for you today is um, what are the best ways for our audience members to reach out and connect with you? Well, they can find me at cockrollconsulting.com. That's probably the easiest way to uh, get a hold of us and uh, both my husband and I and uh, we love, love, love interacting with uh, with young professionals and students. We actually do quite a bit of work with universities and a lot of work with young, uh, young people. I'm really looking forward to engaging with young women going forward because generally I think women should get the jobs and opportunity they deserved, but they should start by changing the way they think about themselves. And I think too often, and I was like this too, I really, I was often intimidated, second guessing myself, uh, doubting my own abilities. And uh, in the process, I made some mistakes and there's value in mistakes. So it all worked out for me. And I think that's something people need to remember, you know, in in uh, the down times are actually good times where you're actually learning and that's a good thing. Uh, but if in the process, of my book and podcast and things like this, I can help young people and young women to gain confidence in their abilities. I'm really looking forward to doing that. So any way I can engage and I can help somebody, don't hesitate to reach out, cockrollconsulting.com. Yeah, and I will link that too in today's show notes as well. Thank you so much again for taking the time out of your day to chat with me. I always always enjoy our conversations and I'm excited to share this one with everyone else too. So, well, thank you for having me and I wish you uh, much success with your podcast. I think it's a terrific idea and uh, good luck. I really appreciate talking to you today. All right. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Savannah Turner's Hey Girl Hey. Please be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Hey underscore Sav. For more info about our guests, podcast updates, and fun ways that you can get involved.